and people got saved, and Paul is writing now to this church back in the first century, and he is uh, writing to encourage them in their newfound faith, and, uh, and we are looking at Philippians chapter 2, we're, we're seeing, we're at chapter 2 right now, and uh, verse 15 through 6, 15 and 16, and well, let me see, 15 through 18 is what we're looking at. Uh, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Now, it's important that, to keep the context of what Paul's talking about. And it goes back to verse 12, where he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. And we did a message a week or two ago, to work or not to work. Sometimes people hear this idea of, well, we've got to work out our salvation like it's up to me. I, you know, it's through my works that I'm going to get saved, and he's not saying that. The idea is when God saves us, he saves us not by anything we've done, but by everything that Jesus Christ did in dying on the cross for our sins. He paid the price for our sin in full. And then when God saves us by faith, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, nothing that we have, it's all of Him. But when He saves us, then He begins a work in us. We already saw in Philippians, uh, He will perfect, or maybe it's in the future actually, He will perfect that which He begun. He which hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I don't remember if that's past or future here, but it's in Philippians. And that's what God is doing. He's working out our salvation. He already saved us. And now our job is to flesh it out. That's the idea. The idea of work out your salvation doesn't mean that we have to do like 20%. God does 80%. It's, it's not that. He does it all. But we have to allow Him. Uh, in fact, in Ephesians 2... Verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then it says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So good works is pretty vital in demonstrating something's happened in here, but it's not us trying to work our way to God. It's, it's us allowing God to fulfill and flesh out his salvation. And here, Paul is telling them how they do it. Look at verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. And we've, we looked at that. That right there, our vocabulary, our attitude, the words that we say, what we don't say, the, the uh, conversations that we start, the conversations we get involved in, we are not to be like this world. You know, the world, the world complains a lot because the world doesn't have a savior the world expresses dismay and frustration anger and, and our chat we're, we're to be different than that we're to do all things without murmuring and disputings and then now look at verse 15 that ye may be see the world's looking at us and they see that we're different that that ye may be blameless and harmless you know, Christians are supposed to be different. The de their deportment, the way they carry themselves, their, the things that they say should be different than the world. 
sadly, not, it's not always true. But the challenge is that, that we may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke. Now it's not saying we have to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. In fact, they even criticized Paul and slandered him. But the idea is we don't want to give actual ammunition to the world because we're acting just like them. We need to be different. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So what we want to talk about, and now verse 16 is, is really uh, that ye are holding forth the word of life that Paul may, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. So this, we start out, we are challenged to hold forth the word of life. And by the way, Jesus Christ is the living word. He is the word of life. He has the words of life. We are, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are living out and the world should see it. This crooked and perverse world. And now Paul is challenging these Philippians that they need to live differently. They need to hold forth the word of life. And here's why. And we're going to look at three things this morning. Verse 16 is the accounting that matters. Paul's not saying so much about right now. He's saying, I want you to hold forth the word of life. Because there's coming a day when all that is going to show, you know, all that is going to matter. He's talking about the, the coming of Christ. That day when Jesus Christ comes and we give an account as believers. That he's, he's talking about that. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. So Paul was investing himself. He was literally, as we'll see, he was pouring himself out to these people. Pouring himself out like a drink offering from the Old Testament. And he wanted them to just hold forth the word of life. Let your, it goes back to what Jesus said. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's something that we today also need to live out. Are you letting your light so shine that people see you're different? You don't partake in the, you know, the, the murmurings and the disputings. You're not, you're not like the rest of the people. Now, it's easy to get sucked into that, isn't it? I, every job I had, secular, uh, I remember there was always a bunch of gossips. A restaurant business, clothing manufacturing. Um, there were always people that were, you know, unbelievers that they were just gossips and complainers and they were just doing nothing but negative, you know, naysaying. And, and I remember thinking, you know what, I, I got to be different than that. I can't get sucked into this, the, you know, the murmurings, the complainings, the disputings, the, you know, being argumentative. I had to be different than that if I was going to let my light shine. But it's all for a future day. Every day that goes by <clears throat> is a test of how we're living our life. And we are to hold forth the word of life. Not to drop it. We need to keep, we need to let our light so shine. Hold forth the gospel so that in the end, the great day of accounting, 
there will be rejoicing. There's something to be said about finishing strong. Uh, One of my best friends from high school uh, is almost as old as me. And this week was his birthday. And he's really old. I have a friend, I have a friend that's 61 years old. And I wished him a happy birthday, you old man. And, uh, and he said this, and this, this was beautiful because I've been thinking about it all week and all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I've been studying this text and I'm like, what a beautiful thought. Finish. He said, I want to finish strong. That's a great challenge, isn't it? I want to finish strong. And this is what Paul, is this not what Paul is challenging these believers? Finish strong. He is. Holding forth. Means you don't drop it. In fact, now look at this beautiful picture. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. What's the ultimate purpose? That now Paul's now Paul now begins to talk about himself for a couple verses. Paul is not self-centered. It's already clear. Paul is Christ-centered. But he does talk about himself because of how he is affected and what the Lord's doing in his life. He says that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. This whole concept of a race that I have not run in vain. Do you know the Christian life is likened in the scriptures to a race? Listen to some of these references. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The writer says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We looked at this on Wednesday, our prayer meeting. Looking unto Jesus. Are you running with patience the race that is set before you? 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And then in verse 26 he said, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Then he goes off into a different metaphor of, of sparring, but he talks about running. They that that run in the race run all, but only one receives the prize. Run that you may obtain. In other words, run to finish strong. Galatians 2.2. Paul's talking about his situation with the believers and when he came to know the Lord and he's sharing uh, what he was doing and learning the gospel and some certain people he avoided at the time so that it would not be a bad testimony. He said this, verse... um, Galatians 2.2, And I went up by revelation and communicated with them, avoiding others, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Similar idea to what he's talking about here in Philippians. To run in vain. So we're running a race. You are, if you're a believer, you are running the race of the Christian life. And you and I definitely don't want to run in vain. In vain is, means worthless. But one more, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. That's finishing strong. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my faith. I fought a good fight. He's finished his race, and now he's ready. He's finished his course, and there's going to be a prize laid up. I want to challenge you today. Three things again. The accounting that matters, the labor that matters, verse 17, the perspective that matters. Let's just jump right in. <coughs> the accounting that matters. Again, verse 16, 
Paul challenges them, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. In other words, now Paul's pouring himself out. He's about ready to mention this. He's pouring himself into people. People matter to him. He is giving himself to these believers. And so, his thought now is, I don't want my investment to go south. In other words, I am laboring. I am, I am serving you. But I don't want my labor to be in vain. And by you finishing strong, holding forth the word of life, not dropping the ball, not, not becoming a casualty in the Christian life, it's one of the best things that Paul will rejoice in the end. He didn't have that confidence with the Galatian churches. In fact, he even wrote to them, I think it's Galatians chapter 4, he said, I am, I'm, he was afraid for them. He said, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. This idea of laboring in vain is kind of an unusual concept. And, and I've thought on it a lot. Because there was a verse that was very dear to me and is still very dear to me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. A long chapter all about the resurrection. And then Paul concludes it with, therefore. In other words, because of the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brethren, let every man... or What is it? Therefore, my beloved brethren... What is it? No. Um, it's about... Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just blanking out. And it might be what you're saying, Dave. I'm just so hard in hearing and... 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Is that what you were saying? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a good one too. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he said this. And as a new Christian, I remember in the King James reading this and thinking, it just seems so un-Paul-like or scriptural. It says, for as much as you know. So here's what he's saying. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. <laughs> For all you know, it's not worthless. It's, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? He's telling us first, just like he's telling us in Philippians, hold forth the word of life. And then he says, For as much as ye know. And that's an old English phrase. That's all it is. It's not saying, For all you know. Like the way we would use it today. That is written in the actual, uh, you know, you definitely know. For as much as you know, you know this, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I remember when I first studied that out and realized it was an old English axiom and, and, and it wasn't saying, who knows? Because sometimes we live our Christian life that way, you know. We serve God and we're like, well, who knows? Maybe it was worth it. Maybe it wasn't. And that's not what Paul is saying. When he said that to the Galatians, I fear lest I have bestowed labor in vain, he wasn't saying that his work was worthless. He was focusing in that text, I'm convinced of it, because our work is never in vain in the Lord. In fact, Paul, Paul wrote in Colossians 3, he said, whatsoever you do, do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So when Paul was serving the Galatians, he was doing it for the Lord. 
And so that every ounce of energy that he poured into the Galatians was not a waste as far as him running in vain or investing in vain. But he would, in that text, he was concerned that his investment, his labor, wasn't a waste or wasn't wasted on them as far as they didn't benefit from it. You know what I mean? In other words, if the Galatians got saved and the false teachers came in and were beginning to influence them, and they're listening to Paul and they're listening to the false teachers, if they ended up rejecting Paul and going the wrong way, that would have been Paul's investment was in vain as far as it benefited them. They would have missed out on that. Not that Paul's, you know, anything we do for Christ is worth it. But it's important we do it as unto the Lord and not unto men because of that. I mean, what happens if the Philippians dropped the ball and stopped holding forth the word of life and became just like the world and were no longer blameless and without rebuke in this wicked world? What would have happened? Well, Paul, you know, they would have missed out. But for Paul, he didn't waste any time. And when you and I serve Christ, we don't waste any time in what we do for Jesus Christ. And then Paul alludes to um, this idea. Look again at verse Philippians 2. Got to get back there. You all in Philippians 2? Okay, Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. The idea of holding forth the word of life. Many believe that uh, goes back to a prophecy of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as as the stars for and ever and ever. There seems to be this idea that as we shine the light, people are going to get converted and affected by it because they're going to see that. Just like Jesus said, let your light so shine. There's an interesting story out of that first century context of the New Testament church that the Greeks had a race um, back in the day where the winner was not the one who finished first. That's usually what our winner is, right? Marathons, all that, whoever comes in first. But back then, it wasn't the runner, the runner who finished first, but it was the runner who finished with first with his torch still lit. And the carrying of the Olympic torch goes back to that. And so this particular race, you could, you could have 20 people that were first, but if their torch went out, they didn't win. And, and some think this could be a reference. That that's clearly what we're to do, are we not? It's not just a matter of finishing. Hey, I got to the finish line. The lights are turned out. Everyone's gone home and you're still there. But at least you, you did finish. But it's keeping our light so shiny till the very end. That's a challenge. This made me think of a, a man who passed away in, during COVID 2020, like the third month, I think, of COVID. And uh, when he died, his public persona uh, was um, that he was a contender for the faith. He was an apologist for over 40 years. He would do debates, go into colleges and defend the Christian faith. He wrote books. He wrote, I think, 30, more than 30 books. He had radio programs. One was called Let My People Think and Just Thinking. And when he died, I imagine, I, don't, I didn't see his funeral, you know, 
But when he died, he, it looked like, hey, he finished strong. His name was Rabbi Zacharias. Do you ever hear him? After he died, all of a sudden, remember that verse I quote ad nauseum for you maybe, judge nothing before the time. Remember that? Here's one of those reasons. After he died, all of a sudden things came to the surface that Ravi Zacharias was a, uh, a very immoral man. And in fact, and, and this I commend his ministry. They still, you know, after you die, if you've got a big name and you've got hundreds of thousands of followers and multitudes of money come in, you know, you can die and your ministry still goes on. I mean, there's people that still ministries going on after they died. But the Ravi Zacharias ministry, when they heard all this stuff, they didn't sweep it under the carpet. They didn't try to pretend it didn't happen. They hired lawyers to investigate whether these things were true. And I commend them for that. And as they did that, they found out these things were true. And they did the honorable thing. They said, we're changing the name of this ministry. We are, you know, uh, in fact, even the book publishers that had published his books, when they found out it was true, they, they canceled all his books. Uh, you know, they, they, he did not finish strong. You might think he did because he made it to the end. And, you know, but all of a sudden all this stuff comes out. Folks, finishing strong isn't just that we, you know, die without anybody knowing secrets, it's that you and I have held the torch high all the way until God calls us home. And some of that will come out after we die. Whether we've been people of integrity in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation. Isn't that interesting in light of Ravi Zacharias? In the midst of a perverse and crooked generation and nation, and that's exactly the life that he apparently lived. And what a shame. I remember a couple of times, just within the last couple of years, seeing a couple of debates and praising God for this guy who effectively defended the Christian faith. But folks, you're not finishing strong when you're living a secret life. You're not holding forth. Now, to everyone's knowledge or the people that, you know, publicly he was holding forth the word of life, but he wasn't doing it privately. He was actually being engulfed in this wicked world. Look at verse 17. Yea, Paul says, so he says, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. In other words, when, when the rubber meets the road, when we stand before God and Jesus Christ as believers, Charlie preached recently on the judgment for Christians. And it's a different judgment than the judgment for the world, unbelievers, the great white throne judgment. When you and I get judged, it's not, a, it's not like a, a criminal tribunal where we're going to be punished. It's more like an athletic tribunal where it's a matter of rewards or lack of rewards. Praise God, when you get saved, there is no condemnation. You, you and I are not going to be criminally held accountable for our sins if they're washed in the blood of Christ. What a blessing! And so you say, well, we're still getting judged. It's, it's like an Olympic judgment. It's just rewards or lack of rewards. And by the way, in the Scriptures it says, we are to look diligently less, I think this is in John, the epistles, lest we lose those things which we have wrought. In other words, if you want to finish strong so that you don't lose, like Ravi Zacharias, he probably led a lot of people to the Lord 
and, and maybe won a lot of arguments that he got people thinking about Christianity and maybe, and I believe a lot came to know the Lord because of him. And those people, you know, just like when Paul was serving with Demas, Demas was preaching the same message. People probably got saved and then Demas went the way of the world. Did that affect the gospel? No, God still saves people through human vessels, even when those human vessels are imperfect, because the gospel is the thing that saves people. Aren't you glad that you're not the one that saves people? I just was talking about this. I, I, this is one of my favorite stories. Uh, Matt Clifton was a guy I went to Bible college with that I love. haven't seen him in years. When we were in Bible school and we were newly saved, we all went around and gave our testimony. And the man that led me to the Lord, John Caputo, was in that class. And, and we all went around and gave our testimony. I was not refined in giving my testimony at that time. And so I very innocently and ignorantly said, I was saved by John Caputo. <laughs> and Matt Clifton goes up to John Caputo after, shakes his hand and goes, Good save, John! <laughs> Joking around. Because we don't save anybody. Let's remember that. And whoever got saved with Ravi Zacharias... If you get saved through the gospel, it doesn't matter who the instrument was, you're saved. The gospel's the thing, the pure thing. Now, again, if we want to live lives that are consistent, that's why we have to be uh, holding forth the word of life, that we may be blameless and harmless as the sons of God. So that's the labor that matters, is when, when we stand before Jesus Christ. Oh, I have, this is... um. Uh, in fact, look at verse 17. Yea, he says, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice. He's using the picture of the Old Testament drink offering where you would literally pour the drink offering on the floor for the Lord. And Paul's talking about himself. Remember, he's been talking about he's facing this trial. Remember, he might die. He might not die. He, he had a desire to depart and be with Christ, which would have been better for him but it was more needful that he remain. So he's anticipating this. And he's going back to this idea that if I die in this, in this court battle, because I'm preaching the gospel, he said, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, in other words, I'm pouring myself out in ministry to you, he said, I joy and rejoice with you all. Isn't that amazing that Paul... Paul's attitude was, I will gladly, willingly spend and be spent for you. And that's where we should be. People, ministering to people for Jesus Christ is what matters. I shared this one time, but uh, read some more on it. There was a, a man by the name of Charles Francis Adams, who was actually the grandson of John Adams and the son of John Quincy Adams. So he's one, you know, goes back to the founding fathers in the 19th century he was a, Charles Francis Adams was a 19th century political figure and diplomat and he had a practice that he encouraged his children to do that most of them also do and that was he kept a journal a di like a diary every day he encouraged his kids to do it and his one son Brooke was one that did it very faithfully and you know I've always Roxanne's really good at, at doing journals and every time she shares with me something, i got to start keeping a journal. When I first got saved, I did keep a journal for two years. And I always vow i got to go back to it. But this guy, so Brooks kept this journal. And he had this memory when he was eight years old that 
he remembered for the next 30 years of his life. And it was one time when his dad took him out fishing. And he wrote in his diary, he went back and checked. 30 years later, he went back and checked it out. And he simply put this on that day. He said, went fishing with my father the most wonderful day of my life. And as he thought on it, I think his dad might have passed away already. And he said, I wonder if my dad had anything in his journal from that day. And so he went back and he looked and he found his dad did have an entry. But it wasn't quite the same. This, this was a cherished memory of Brooke. His dad put, went fishing with my son today. A day wasted. <laughs> now, somebody did say in his defense, I want to read this to you. One writer observed, it is possible that Charles was upset that they came home empty-handed having caught no fish. So maybe he was saying that was why it was a day wasted. But then they made this very good observation. But even so, he seems to have forgotten that the process is sometimes more important than the product. That the time spent with kids is usually more important than what we do with them. Wow, that's good, isn't it? You know, when I saw that, because I used to think this guy was a creep. You know, that when, you know I, I read this a couple years ago, and he's like, I spent time with my son and went fishing today. The whole day is ruined. And then when I read, maybe he was saying it was a waste of time because they didn't catch any fish. All right, I'm not going to be as hard on him. But that observation is good. You know, I love that statement that um, sometimes it's more about the process than the product. And I think Paul was communicating that idea to these believers. You know, he was challenging them. Hey, hold forth the word of life. Hold forth the word of life till Jesus comes. Then I won't be ashamed and I'll rejoice. But he's still saying, he's not saying his time was wasted when he says, you know, that it's in vain. He just wants them to share the full reward that he is also striving for. And that's what our heart should be. Finally, verse 18. So we saw the, first of all, the... um, The accounting that matters. Judge nothing before the time. You know, we want to finish strong. And even after we finish strong, that's still not the end. It's when Jesus comes. And if we can be faithful to the end, holding forth the word of life, and be genuine in what's seen and unseen, not perfect, but genuine, then you and I will have finished strong. Then we see the, the labor that matters. That is, it's not, it's not so much what we're doing, Paul. Paul, I, I believe Paul would have gone back to the Galatians, even though he feared, he said, I fear lest I bestowed upon you labor in vain. He wrote to the Corinthians, I would gladly spend and be spent. Though in them, he even said, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul wasn't saying, you know, I'm starting to think I wish I'd never spent time in Corinth. You know, I'm wishing I, you know, I probably never should have even gone into those churches in Galatia. He wasn't saying that. That's where the Lord led him, and he was he was 100% invested. And he's going to stand before God and say, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. He's going to get that. He's going to get the rewards. But it's, it may be the Galatians or the Corinthians or potentially the Philippians that lose the reward. So by the way, remember then, 
everything, in fact, it was in a James Elliott quote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Last thing, verse 18. Paul then flips it. At the end of verse 17, he says, um, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. And then, he says in verse 18, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Uh, one, one commentator summarized it or reworded it this way, just to understand what he's saying. He's saying, Do not grieve at my death. Be not overwhelmed with sorrow, but let your hearts be filled with congratulations. It will be a privilege and a pleasure to die in the service of Jesus Christ, is the idea. And that has to be our attitude. One ancient Greek writer, Plutarch, wrote this story about a brave Athenian who was unnamed. He returned from the Battle of Marathon, and as he, uh, this soldier came into the magistrates to report on the battle, he, um, all he could say, he uttered two last words, karete kairomen, which simply means um, in, in Greek, rejoice, we rejoice. And he fell dead. He, here's this man that served with his last drop of blood that came back almost fully exhausted, ready to expire, and he wanted to report that they had won. And so he said, rejoice, we rejoice, and he died. I think that's the idea of what Paul was saying about rejoicing. That When you finish your fight, when you're serving the Lord, and you're faithful to the end, even if it means you're martyred for your faith, which many have, you and I rejoice. It is given on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for His sake. It's actually a privilege, and that's what Paul's communicating. It's a wonderful thing to serve the Lord. It's an amazing thing to me, thinking of that soldier coming back. And, uh, and his last words, rejoice. We rejoice. Plop. Right there. And that's what Paul, again, is doing. So I want to ask you today, are you in the race? Are you in the race? Are you serving the Lord? Are you, are you trying to minister to others for the cause of Christ? If you are, do you want to finish strong? Do you want to, you want to fight? So at the end, you could say like Paul, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. You know, men like Ravi Zacharias and others can't really say that. Couldn't really say that. Though everyone at his death, except for those who knew his, his true life, everyone would have thought that he would have been one that would have gotten great rewards in heaven. And, and that's why we judge nothing before the time. I close with these two quotes because I hope that's your heart. I hope you're in the race. I hope your desire is, I want to finish strong. First, a, a, a Puritan Reformed pastor named Richard Baxter. In fact, he has a book that I read years ago called The Reformed Pastor from the 1600s. And it was a blessing because he shared a lot in that book about what a pastor's life was like in the 1600s. And it's interesting to compare. You know, it, it's a whole, every generation is a different, there's so many different factors. And, and he wrote in this, from the 1600s, don't forget, you'll think this is a modern day writer. Listen to what he said. 
He said, it is a most lamentable thing to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles while God is cast aside. He who is all seems to them as nothing, and that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed, knowing that God has set mankind in such a race, where heaven or hell is their certain end, that they should sit down and loiter or run after the childish toys of the world, forgetting the prize they should run for. Were it but possible for one of us to see this business as the all-seeing God does, and see what most men and women in the world are interested in and what they are doing every day, it would be the saddest sight imaginable. That's what God sees. Oh, how we should marvel at their madness and lament their self-delusion. If God had never told them what they were sent into the world to do or what was before them in another world, then there would have been some excuse. But it it is His sealed word and they profess to believe it. That's people that are not going to finish strong. And there's a lot of believers that, that join the race. And they're in the race. They get saved. And then they become casualties. They get distracted. And that reminds me of this last quote by Martin Luther. Who says, If we consider the greatness and the glory of the life we shall have when we have risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If I believe the word, I shall on that last day, after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonment, but I shall also say, oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory which I now see revealed and which has come to me through the merit of Christ. Wow. I don't want to live regretfully, standing before God and think, oh, I wish I had done so much more. Because, as James Elliot said, quoting him, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father, help us keep before us the challenge to hold forth the word of life. And Lord, may our desire be to finish strong in this race. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.